The Jeep Grand Cherokee 4xE. It's electrified. So you can boogie, woogie, woogie into the forest. Boogie. Boogie, woogie, woogie through the mud. Or boogie, woogie, woogie to work, where you boogie, woogie, woogie down the hall to your boss's office to tell him you quit. Then you boogie, woogie, woogie to the elevator as he boogie, woogie, woogies after you, begging, please, take me with you. The electrified Jeep Grand Cherokee 4xE. Learn more at Jeep.com. Jeep is a registered trademark of FCA US LLC. Hey guys, and welcome to Happy, Sad, Confused. I'm Josh Horowitz. This week on the show, Daisy Ridley on Star Wars, eagle hunting, and why she left social media. And a man who's lived fast and hard and rough, just like me, Mr. Nick Nolte. But first, hey Sammy. Hi. My partner in crime. You know what it just sounded like? What's up? That the next Star Wars movie is going to be called Star Wars, eagle Eagle hunting. How awesome would that be? (laughs) Uh, No. To clarify, we'll we'll get to that in a second. But first, we should mention, um, yes, it's a packed show with two awesome guests. uh, Amazing guests. And they're really – yeah, I'm about to talk effusively about both of them. But first, we should mention this is our spooky Halloween edition of the show. This is our last episode before Halloween. Is that why you look like a zombie? No, it's just age. Oh, got it, got it, got it. Uh, big Halloween plans for you? Um, I decided about an hour ago. Yeah. I think I'm going to have a party. <gasps> what? Will you come? No. <laughs> <laughs> I'm invited? It's What if it's I tell everyone it's your party? It's in honor of you. Yeah, it's the memorial Josh Horowitz zombie party. <laughs> oh, my God. Oh, my God. I tell everyone that it's your memorial. <laughs> And then you show up. Well, okay. So what what uh what are going to be the aspects of the party? Are you are you going to have tasty dessert uh, treats? Or no, are you go- I be- uh, emailed a dive bar and asked <laughs> if I can uh, reserve space for free. Amazing. And they said yes. Done. And so I'm getting my David S. Pumpkins blazer ready. Are you really going to do that? Hell yeah. That's going to be very popular. Well, don't uh, well, should no. I not? No, is no, it no. Like cheesy? No, no. I, here's what I would say is cheesy. I would say Ken Bone, cheesy. Mm, David well, S. Pumpkins, like, cl- kinda, like if you know, you know. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Yeah, I, I approve. It's all good. Do you want to be my one of my skeletons? No, I'm good. Thank you, though. Okay, you're uh, welcome. Um, so speaking of Halloween, mm-hmm. there are also going to probably be a lot of uh, rays, as mm-hmm. in Ray from mm-hmm. uh, Star Wars: The Force Awakens, out this Halloween season, and that is uh, our guest later on the show, Daisy Ridley. Um, and there'll probably be a lot of the first guest too. <laughs> Nick Nolte. Yeah. Oh my God! If you go as Nick Nolte, you have my utmost respect. <laughs> oh my God, that's an amazing costume. <laughs> but um, to tease a little bit about what you're going to hear a little later on with Daisy, um, she has a new movie called The Eagle Huntress, uh, which is a documentary that she has uh, narrated and she's the executive producer of, and it's a really um, a sweet story um, that is about a 13th generation eagle hunter in Mongolia. Basically, this 13 year old uh, girl who's the first in her family to kind of break. The the tradition and be a woman that's pursuing this uh, this um, pastime of her family's. So it's a very it's a very empowering tale. It's a very sweet story. The family's delightful. It's beautiful cinematography, um, and it's a really fun conversation with Daisy about. As I said, we talk about Star Wars, of course, and a little bit about Episode Eight, and a little bit about she. You know, she left Instagram uh, a couple months ago, much to many people's chagrin, and we talk a little bit about why that was. Um, so uh, really great crat- catching up with Daisy Ridley, and that's coming up a little later in the show. But first, let's talk about Nick Nolte. Because Nick Nolte. Nick Nolte. So Nick Nolte, yeah. The voice you're going to hear, oh my God, he is. He has lived a life. This guy is 75 years old and he's lived like like three lifetimes already. He, um, yeah, he's packed on a lot of mileage uh, onto his life. He's still going. 
he's going great. So he's starring in a new show called Graves that's on Epics. It's on Sunday nights. You guys should check it out. He plays an ex-president. And um, – you know, he's kind of been it all in his career. He's been he's been a TV star. He started out as like a big TV star in Rich Man, Poor Man, this huge miniseries of the time. Uh, he became a movie star thanks to 48 Hours and, you know, The Prince of Tides and a ton of other things. He was people's sexiest man alive. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I mean, he's kind of done it all, not to mention, you know, and he's very forthright about it. He's been married, I think, at least five times. He's had drug and alcohol issues. We talk about that infamous mugshot that you might remember from years ago. Classic. Classic mugshot that he says was not actually a mugshot. We talk about that. We talk about um, uh, his performance in the underrated Hulk movie. Uh, For my money, his performance in that movie is mesmerizing. We talk... I'm serious. I I know you are. I really believe that. Uh, We also talk about a movie that you guys might not have heard of that I'll just mention for context, uh, a movie called I'll Do Anything, um, which is fascinating. So it's... uh, it's, it's a James L. Brooks movie. The guy did, um, you know, Terms of Endearment and Broadcast News. And it starred Nick Nolte and Albert Brooks, actually. And it was intended to be a musical with, I believe, like songs by like Prince, if what? I'm not mistaken. And they shot it as a musical. And then in test audiences basically hated it and they removed all the songs. So the movie exists now as just like a straight like comedic drama, like a dramedy with no With no, no songs. music. Yeah. So that, for reference, that's what we talk about sort of the saga of that film, which has just always fascinated me. Who knew he could sing? Uh, yeah. We talk about that too. <laughs> <laughs> and and one other thing for context, because Nick is one of these guys that is, um, you know, he kind of rambles, but it's so fascinating. Thanks both to like that, that idiosyncratic voice that has like just so much gravitas to it and he's just kind of a kook he's kind of crazy in a great way so um, one of the tangents towards the end is if you if you don't catch the gist of it in listening to the interview I'll mention it now it's about um, during the making of the film The Thin Red Line this Terrence Malick movie that starred him and everybody under the sun um, a prank that went awry involving Sean Penn and Woody Harrelson so when he talks about Sean and Woody that's who he's talking about uh, during that amazing story that closes out this conversation um, I I, I say it in the podcast and I mean it. I would have Nick Nolte on every week of this podcast if I could. He has so many stories. Probably 70% of them are actually true, but that doesn't matter to me. Mm-hmm. He uh, He's kind of the best. I, I really I, – I fell in love with Nick Nolte. I was already a huge fan of his work, but he's a, he's kind of just a crazy storyteller and um, I'm so happy he came by for this conversation. So um, without any further ado – Let's do it. Let's, let's go. Are you ready, Sammy? I'm have ready. Have I given a good preamble? Yes. I'm so excited. Okay. Here's uh, the crazy awesome uh, Nick Nolte starring in Graves on Epics. Check it out and check out this conversation. The next voice you're about to hear, ladies and gentlemen, is uh, one you will not mistake for anyone else's. It's the one and only Mr. Nick Nolte. Thank you for being here, sir. Oh, thank you for having me. It's a tr- it's a true pleasure. I'm I'm a. Uh, what what level of gushing do you want from a scale of one to ten? How much? No, you can gush all you want. You know, uh, <laughs> I like that. Applause is good. You know, yay is great. Okay, okay, yeah. okay. Good to know. Um, you know, anything I can get from the audience, I'm kind of a hog. You know, uh, a, a true actor. Yeah. A consummate actor. That, that's what acting is. Not like a politician who's 
trying to serve the people, you know. Do you see many – I mean the, the show we're talking about, of course, is Graves, a new show for epics in which you play an ex-president. I'm sure you're getting this kind of question a lot, but it, it, it does beg the question what you just said. Um, do you see many connections between politicians and actors? I mean the politicians we see nowadays, we kind of expect them to be camera trained. We expect them to be polished. Yeah, Ronald Reagan taught that, you know, the great communicator. Uh, and he was a B-picture movie actor uh, but uh, don't, don't discredit Bedtime for Bonzo special no, stuff I, I didn't see it but I heard <laughs> Bonzo was great um, but he, he did he made them all aware that they've got to at least become camera aware at least look directly into the camera yeah. and talk to it and that's we see that happening through the years and Reagan was mainly responsible for that but between the actor and the and the politician, the politician is supposed to be to set himself aside and serve the people, a larger purpose. The actor brings himself in more <laughs> and gets pleasure from the audience applauding, you know. Sure. I'm, I'm not saying one is more egotistical than the other, but it's a different kind of service and a different kind of function. Um, certainly the actor can't be a politician because he's not going to think past the play, you know. Right. Uh, where the politician has to go into all uh, aspects of human life, or we hope so. Do you, know. do you feel in your own path and your, as an actor, like, is a little self-involvement, a little vanity, a good thing for an actor? Is that something that, that behooves you, that kind of can, can help you? Or it would be help, more helpful for you or any actor to be a little more selfless, you think? Yeah, it works all those ways. I mean, uh, you know, you will have your humbling moments in front of the audience when you really mess up. And you'll have those great moments where... The, the audience is really in the palm of your hand and you're, and you're moving with the audience's emotion back and forth as it sways. And um, um, so I used to uh, spit on the stage curtain, the fourth wall, you know, because, you know, there were a thousand people out there. So I would, I would do that. And so when I first started doing film, I would not spit on the lens, but I'd give the lens a real nasty look. And <laughs> this cinema photographer was whipping his bulldog around. You know, he'd bitten down on the chain, and so he was swinging her way around, and he said, I don't know why you hate that camera so much. It sure loves you. Man, that just broke through right away. And yeah. he said, why am I spitting at the camera, you know? It was kind of this thing to get, you know, the uh, inhibitions out of your way, you know. Like, you know, the curtain opened and there's going to be 500 people, 1,000 people. Well, the actor goes through a process of, you know, getting lost in the part, sure. you know. And as you get older... You get lost easier because you're more senile. You get, <laughs> it benefits you. It's all better. There you, you go. Know, <laughs> better actor. Do you feel like you're better than you've ever been? Do you feel like you I, know more and you it just comes more naturally? You have more tricks uh, in the toolbox or whatever? Yeah. I've, I, emotionally, uh, you know, and flow-wise, I'm better. But physically, I'm not 
as good as I was. Yeah. You know, so there's a give and a take. I can't do certain kind of moves. I can't do certain kinds of things. Uh, but I know where to go. Whereas when you see an actor struggle, you know, he, he's not sure where where he's... It's that indecisiveness. Yeah. It's not known. And yeah. that, that's part of being human, too. Sure. You know, absolutely. We have those moments every day. But uh, you don't want to make that the whole performance, you know. Sure. <laughs> you know? <laughs> Otherwise, it might be grating for an audience to watch someone that, like, does he... Can he get out of the room? Does well, he know where to go? Yeah, see, Woody Allen, he makes a right. whole thing of that, you know. <laughs> but we only need one Woody Allen. Yeah, well, that's absolutely right. <laughs> So um, your background before you even got into – and this is kind of full circle for you. You've been doing some TV in recent years, but obviously uh, Rich Man, Poor Man was sort of where you made your name in the the initial part of your career. After some time in theater, uh, a bunch of repertory theater, correct? Yeah, Yeah, I worked theater from about 20 till I was um, 34. That's when Inge brought me from Phoenix to L.A., in uh, a little one-act play of Bill Inge's called The Last Pad. And uh, we had mounted it in Phoenix. In fact, our director had been a child prodigy Quaker, a very prominent Quaker family that always challenged the Supreme Court on laws of liberty, mm-hmm. you know, curfew laws and things like this. Well, this fellow had stabbed his mother-in-law 47 times <laughs> when he was like 17 at the University of Chicago. And the reason he didn't... I think that's against the Quaker book, right? I'm yeah, pretty sure. Absolutely. Absolutely against Quaker. He told me he didn't know why he had his knife in his hand. He thought it was his wife in the bed and... Uh, it took him a long time to cross the floor. He came up to the fire escape, and he stabbed her 47 times. He didn't kill her because he stabbed her in the same spot. Oh, sure. 47 That's times. sweet of him. Yeah. yeah, so he was in the Illinois Penitentiary, <laughs> and he read this William Minch play, this one act called The Last Pad. And he got out because, you know, he didn't kill her, and he really wasn't a murderer. I don't think. This is where I feel like it should be noted that according to my research over the years, you have been accused of making up some tales during interviews. Oh, absolutely. absolutely. So I just want to put that out there. I'm not accusing you now. No, no, no. No, if I say my wife was in a high wire act in the circus. That's when the red lights to go off. Yeah, yeah. No, that's a true story. That's a true story. And he called me to help him put this play together. And Sally Goldwater financed it, and we put it out in Phoenix. And Bill then saw it. And Bill was very despondent about Broadway, and so was Arthur Miller, in a way. Because Miller and Inge had trouble getting their plays on Broadway, where Tennessee Williams, you know, he was a darling, you know. So uh, he he brought it to L.A., and it, it just went out of sight. You know, and that led to Rich Man, Poor Man, that, that's, that play in particular? Well, that, that's what started. That play ran for a year. Yeah. You know, I had a trick I used to do. Uh, I would take a can of vegetable soup. I learned to do this. This is true. Okay. I learned to do this as a kid <laughs> to get out of school. I could swallow half the can and hold it in my upper stomach and walk around for maybe 10 minutes and then <laughs> throw it out. And that's why I'd start that play. And uh, 
audience is only 10 feet away. Right. I'm going to wait for you to end the podcast in that way. (laughs) I see blood on the table. My parents found the can, you know, under the bed, so they knew what I was up to. (laughs) But that's... That it, it, it was a very strong play. So, so in the wake of, of both that experience and and the, the miniseries, which obviously was huge, um, and as you said, you weren't you were thirty four. You were a man. You had you'd lived a life already. Yeah. Um, yeah. Were you were you like itching to to get into film and TV in your early thirties? Were you like, where no, are my opportunities? No. Like, no, it wasn't. No, 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 no. We thought if you were a movie actor, you were. Terrible. Tab Hunter and, you know, Beach Party Bingo. (laughs) We weren't thinking. It was, uh, of course, we were lying. When the opportunity came, we were there. I mean, I I remember I auditioned with Peter on Rich Man, Poor Man. And we had screen tests. And I, I knew we nailed it. So I said to Peter, I'll see you when we start shooting. He said, well, you don't know if we got it. I said, yes, I do. I said, I'll see you when we start shooting. <laughs> you don't know. I said, yes, I do. <laughs> and Peter had just graduated from Northwestern and was 24. But I knew we had we had that role. I just knew it. And, and, and between that and, I mean, arguably, I guess it was probably North Dallas 40 and, and, and 48 Hours that really cemented you as, as a film star. There was also, there's like, this is kind of like... Um, those things you find on IMDb that have been talked about over the years. Like it, it was said that you were up for things like Han Solo and Superman. <laughs> was that was that true? Do you have memories of going up for those kind of roles? Yeah, well, Han Solo or, or Star Wars. Um, Lumpy Dreyfus <laughs> was playing the role of Lucas, and he was sitting behind the desk. And Lucas was sitting in a chair with a couple other producers over here. And you had to know that, or otherwise you were very confused by this whole thing <laughs> that Dreyfus was holding this audition. Yeah. And that was that, was that situation. And then, Would you have made a good Han Solo? Did you have a good take no, on the character? No, 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 I didn't. No, I wasn't. (laughs) Harrison Ford was a good console. Pretty good. Yeah, he's a guy who created. Superman is a schizophrenic. There's no question about it. Yeah, there are a lot of issues with that guy. Yeah, Yeah. so that's what I told the studio. And I said, yeah, I'll play Superman as a schizophrenic. You know, he's got this mental problem. It's not bad. You know, he can handle it. He's got extrasensory perceptions that he can use to not freak out too much when he switches. Sure. This, is, this take makes total sense to me. Yeah, I, I, I thought maybe they'd get a kick out of it, but they didn't have any part <laughs> of it. forward, yeah, oh yeah. well. <laughs> so I, I got criticized for turning down Fort Apache for a million dollars. How dare Nick Nolde turn down a million dollars? Well, I had never thought about it, you know. I had always thought about the material. Yeah. Fort Apache, they sent me that script. It was 300 pages long. I didn't even know where Fort Apache was, to be honest. I didn't know it was New York Borough, you know. <laughs> so Paul Newman did it. And yeah. then, you know, but the producer was very upset that I turned it down, you know. Did, once fame came, uh, did it screw you with your head a little bit? I mean, it's tough for anybody to handle. A little bit. How so? Like, what, well, how did it manifest been, that it was? Okay, you know, I've been doing theater for quite a while. You'd get some recognition, but not this constant thing. And when you get the constant thing, then you you don't know where to hide. 
you know, you know, all of a sudden you don't have any place to hide. So yeah. drug dens are good. <laughs> That's a good you hiding know, place. Not for too me. many paparazzis go there. <laughs> oh, you know, prison is always wonderful. You know, <laughs> and the, the sheriff will always say, "You have a lot of fun in here, Nick." No. <laughs> Were you of the camp that your vices were fueling your artistic powers? Oh, no, 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 Like drinking or whatever could help me or no? No, no. If I was that, I'd be dead by now. (laughs) (laughs) That whole kind of attitude. Well, there's a few. I won't name them, but there's some great actors that keep finding new theories of acting. And and one of the greatest and the latest uh, that... uh, I had Josh, we made a film with Josh, Greg Shapiro, and I. And I, I, I cast William Hurt and this other actor in it. And I said, I said now these two guys, are, are, they'll have a difficult day. One will have a new theory on acting. You have to listen to it. And the, and the other one gets depressed one day. Right. And he, he'll say, I suck in this film. And you suck in this film. And this film sucks. Everything sucks, <laughs> and you'll think, oh, my God, we're not going to make it, but it only lasts for a day. The next day, he's forgotten all about it. But the other actors, Michael McGarity and Michael had a new theory of acting, and it was to be drunk all the time. So I said, don't react, Josh, just listen. Oh you know, it doesn't mean he's going to be drunk. <laughs> it's a theory, you know? But Michael's a brilliant actor, brilliant actor. Totally, absolutely. Yeah. Well, what, what one might argue that, um, you know, once you, you know, you're this leading man, you look the part of the leading man, you, you know, you fit that role, that in some ways that did fit you and you could accomplish that and you did accomplish that in many films, but it almost wasn't the right fit for you, that you no. almost have too much character and inner life and something special yeah. that doesn't necessarily suit kind of the straight arrow leading man. Did you feel that at the time? Yeah, because I had a very unconventional mother. I had a mother that was liberated before there was liberation. She thought the women's lib movement was a funky club. She said, if you, you got to join a club to be a woman, you're, you're really an idiot. <laughs> you know, it's really easy to get around a man's world. She worked all her life, and she, like she would say, you know, you don't have to go to school if you don't want to. You know, school is taught by teachers that don't know how to live real life. So that's why they're teaching, you know. <laughs> There's a lot of professors in my family, and, you know, she had a rebellion against them. And, and, uh, and, and, and she was just liberated that way. For instance, she said, both Nancy and I, she said, you kids are not going to know a color barrier. We will live with the black or they'll live with us. And they did from when we were kids up. Mainly they lived with us because they didn't have any place for us to move into. But her assistant was a black lady, you know, so... Um, and did they have? Did your parents, your mother, have much respect for what you were doing? Did they see the merit in it? Did they see? My mother saw saw the acting. In fact, at the very last, when the Inge play was going to L.A., I had to make a decision to go or not. And I was in this. I had a desert house with 
these castor beans that had grown around it like big trees, and I knew a nurse, and I would feed them human blood. But <laughs> it's really good, good nutrition. Yeah, you know, look it up, guys. And this before there was blood diseases that we have sure. today. Um, you know, so she said to me, she said, now you're going to go this way, meaning are you going to sit in these couches and smoke joints and watch time pass? And I said, I don't know. You know, of course I was going to go over, but uh, I just was going to play with it for a little, a little while, you know. Because, you know, when you get the invitation, that's when you go to L.A. Invitation, or you can go to New York. New York accepts young people. Sure. L.A. is a disaster for young people. It's just not, uh, it's not really a town, is it? Yeah, I've, I've, I grew up here in the city, and I, I feel it's not yeah. conducive to my personality. It feels a little one. I mean, that's the cliche, but there's there's something to the cliche. Yeah, right. You to, can tell me. Yeah, my sister, she she came here east, and uh, she was six foot tall, best athlete. I think she would have been an Olympic swimmer had yeah. had she not there been those kind of prejudices at sure. that time. And so she came back east, and she worked at Lord & Taylor. She was a buyer at Lord & Taylor. And then she was the head of the Red Cross in Jersey. Wow. Um, she used to get mad at me because of Sarandon and her husband asking for donations for Haitian prisoners with AIDS locked in the Haitian prison. They got $40 million off of that announcement. They had to send it all back. They couldn't find these guys. You know? So she used to jump all over me. With one of the best savings rates in America, banking with Capital One is the easiest decision in the history of decisions. Even easier than choosing Slash to be in your band. Next up for lead guitar. You're in. Cool. <laughs> yep, even easier than that. And with no fees or minimums on checking and savings accounts, is it even a decision? That's banking reimagined. What's in your wallet? Terms apply. See CapitalOne.com slash bank for details. Capital One and a member FDIC. So we're, so we're getting into social issues and political issues. What's on the Nick Nolte platform should he run for president? What's, what are you running on? Would you make a good politician? Would you make a good president? No, I'd be a terrible politician. I, I, the hours would kill me. And, <laughs> you know, and, Practicalities, yeah, it's yeah, true. Yeah. I really don't have much to spread around anymore, <laughs> even though I'm spreading fast, you know. That's what age does. Uh, I, I, you know, my sister is real good at this, but she's retired. She lives on a farm outside here. Um, I, I'm just, you know, I got to get my wife to run for Senate. Yeah. And then take care of my, uh, my uh, daughter's baby by a Mexican drug dealer. And so I, I should be in baby poop. And Senate problems. You know. <laughs> Wait, did you uh, just get married very recently? Did I hear? No, 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 no. That was according to something. Okay. No, I've been married many times. <laughs> I have meant the most recent, but way sure. too okay. many. Times. Way too many. Yeah. What would you recommend the good number of marriages for a human being to be? I think you need at least five. <laughs> That's the sweet spot. Yeah, to get it right. Yeah, you know? let's not go crazy. Seven is absurd or yeah, whatever. Sure but, it but, is. but two is just I, I warming a, up. Uncle Cole, he had eight wives. But, 
you know, he raised Jack mules. So that's a guy that can get a mule and a horse to get together. You see, I'm very jealous. Um, you keep me on my toes, sir. This is good. This is the best kind of interview. I, I love it. I love it. So, okay, let me take you in the time capsule back. Right. It's uh, 1992. You get a phone call from Team Nolte. Nick, I've got great news. You're the sexiest man alive, according to People magazine. What was your reaction? Well, first, they made me get out of Bible and swear I wouldn't treat it lightly. And I said, okay, what's That's a great name? honor, yeah. Yeah. They said, you're the sexiest man alive. I said, oh, you got it wrong. Walter Conkright, <laughs> sexiest man alive. I said, no, you, you've got it. But you've got to treat it with respect. So I did. I did as best I could. <laughs> You wore the mantle well, with you dignity know, and grace. There's no way I was the sexiest man alive. <laughs> Just like that guy that drinks that beer, uh, oh. you know, missing guy, whatever his name is. Right. <laughs> well, let me jump ahead because I want to mention a couple films yeah. that I'm fascinated okay. by. One is um, – and this might not necessarily be the first one that comes to mind for yeah. people, but I have a fascination with I'll Do Anything, the James L. Brooks film, uh, because we've never seen the true version of that film. Yeah. It exists somewhere in a vault. It does exist. It does exist. I've been offered to see it, but I, I haven't done it. Mark Catton has it. But the time I got to spend with Twyla and the time we worked on music and the time it would dance, it was we spent three or four months. You so, know. so to clarify for the audience, this was like a conceived as a musical. Yeah, it was a full-on musical. It was a full-on musical, but the story was was very complete in itself. Sure. The story of a father and a daughter, and, and he's an actor, and, and, and so he's got this daughter. And so we had Shanane O'Connor that would send us music in a brown paper sack, you know, and... And Prince would be in a purple sack. <laughs> what a sack. A lot of different colored sacks. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and it, it, Jim tried everything. He would, he would start the music out, and then the actor would start in, and then the, the, as the end of the scene would come, the um, the music would be taken over again by the by the artist. Yeah. And we tried it with the actor scene, the artist version of did you know it wasn't working? Did it feel uh, off? Or, or You know, I don't think anybody knew it wasn't yeah. working because what Twyla did was the first thing she did, she said, put your hands on my hips. And you put your hands on her hips and then she videotaped everything. And then she would move for two days. She just would follow her around, you know. <laughs> then she'd reverse it and put her hands in your hips. And then you'd move and you're forced to move, you know. <laughs> and then she would film It's idiot-proof it. choreography. It's yeah, brilliant. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> she would find out what was your natural moves. Mm -hmm. Then she would combine that into choreography and those we had moves. So... Uh, that, that worked real well. It made sense. But, you know, my voice never got past the gravel, you know. <laughs> I couldn't find any clear pitch, you know. So, it, it, you know, what happened was unfortunate. L.A. Times got, saw, talked to some people, saw a screener. And they said, we're going to review it yeah. off of this screener. And Jim said, you can't do that. You know, I'm still experimenting. And he had to make a deal with L.A. Times to sit in on the editing. Otherwise, they were going to. Oh, wow. You know, so they 
they, they really – That's the ultimate irony because if people remember that film, it's a film about like the test screening process. Yeah, <laughs> and yeah, it was, it's And your film was scuttled by a test screenings. That's exactly right. That's yeah. insane. Films have that weird thing. You know, it's like uh, Tropic Thunder. It says there's a line in there. It's the most expensive comedy ever made or action picture. Well, it was. <laughs> <laughs> you know. All the money was worth it. I love that one as well. Yeah. Uh, maybe not anyone's favorite necessarily, no, but, 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 but uh, for this next film, rather, yeah. is um, how many of the stories around I Love Trouble should I believe? There's a lot of, there's a lot of war around that that not well, everyone didn't necessarily get along in the best way, which happens. Yeah. It's fine. It's whatever. We had a husband-wife directing team yep. right? that didn't seem to agree on things. And they asked me to mediate, and Julia wasn't in the mood to mediate. Anything. It's not part of my contract. Yeah, not... and like an idiot, I picked up their task, and she, she had a perfect right to do what she did. She got upset with it, and uh, she was right. You know, uh, they should have gone and talked to her if they wanted to talk to her. You know, is friction with a director or a co-star in your experience ever necessarily can that? help a process or is it can help it can cause a lot of dissension too it didn't cause dissension it, it um it caused me to go into my trailer and said what the hell did i just do <laughs> you know you know i had to think about it and i think she was anticipating some kind of battle but i, I wasn't upset with her yeah. at all. you know I, I think she was right it was you know, that team split up, and then Nancy Myers does her own film. Doing now. quite well by yeah. herself, yeah. Um, for my money, one of my favorite performances in a quote-unquote comic book movie is your performance in Hulk. I, I think oh. you're uh, you're exceptional in that film. And <laughs> uh, truly, I, I can't take my it, eyes off of that performance. It's yeah. mesmerizing. Yeah, that last part is, is really a large Shakespearean kind of yeah. kind of thing. And, and when I, I did that... Um, I wanted it to start, you know, because here we've got all this animation. So I wanted to start at the highest level I could possibly start. And it took me maybe three hours to get the first words out. And Aang was very, very patient. After two hours, he came up and he said, do you think it's time to get a line out? <laughs> just gently. Like, maybe said, we could start rolling yeah. you know, in an hour and a half. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I said, I'm just... Just about there. Just about there. <laughs> and what were you doing to get it to that level? What do you well, do? I had so much energy turning that the energy was faster and bigger than the words could possibly be. Gotcha. So I had to find the level that it could be big. And then, of course, that would next day we would shoot his stuff. Right. And that would inform him what he had to deal with in the father, yeah. you know. But in the end, the effects were bigger than anything anyway. You know? There's some good performances yeah. underneath all that stuff in, yeah. in there. It's, wor it's worth checking out again. Now, yeah. we, we've had a good time. I don't want to upset you, but during the shoot, that was when this infamous mugshot came out. Did that affect your career in any way? It's, it became a thing all in of itself, no, I feel like. I don't think it did. Uh, it, uh, it, I, I told him how to, you know, don't take the first offer, you know, and, and they'll probably start about 25000 Try to get fifty For the, the shot, you mean? Yeah, 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 for the shot. And I said, and share it with the other sheriffs. And he listened and 
played like he didn't understand. But he, it's the outside of a hospital. Uh-huh. Yeah, it's not a mugshot at all. Oh, really? It's not? No. No. It's his personal camera. Is that true? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And this guy just made 25, 50 you grand can, off you of can it? See, you can see the line where it's a wall. You, yeah. know, you can see it. And mug shots here up again. Sure, sure. Yeah. So were you thinking at the time, oh, God, this is going to get out, and here we go. I'm going to no, have to deal with this no, kind of crap. No, 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 Because, you know, I had been drinking GHB for four years. It was time to get off it, you yeah. know. And in some I ways was it's on the wrong side of the road. And it could have been disastrous. Right. I said to the guy, I said, he said, I'm sorry, Mr. Nolte. He said, I, I didn't know you. I said, look, you did the right thing. I was on the wrong side of the road. I could have got people killed. I could have killed somebody. You could have killed me. You know, you did the absolutely the right thing. Don't yeah. worry about it. Do you feel you're in a good kind of like mental headspace now where you're at right now? Do you feel free of vices relatively? And I mean, we all have our vices to different yeah. degrees. Obviously, you never kick everything. But do you feel settled? Do you feel comfortable with well, who you are? And I don't know of any more drugs to try. <laughs> and certainly, I've had enough wives. You so know. you knocked it off the list, you, you know? Yeah, there's not much, you know, not much works anymore. You know? so, <laughs> That's age. I'm kind of excited about dying. But, you know, I wonder if you just slip or do you try to hang on. <laughs> you, know. you had a big birthday. I don't want to mention the number. Does it bother you? Like, no, do, not, no, do numbers no, no, bother no. you? No. Uh, I mean, you look exceptional. 75, it's great. Yeah. And yeah. clearly the acting hasn't diminished based See, on graves. At 75, I roll it up to 80. And <laughs> skip right ahead. Yeah. And then when I'm like 83, I'll say I'm 80. <laughs> I'm 85, then I'll say I'm 90. Yeah. If I say that, well, he, he looks amazing. He's yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but it's all, it's all, you know, if you put my ashes in a can, you would have to be a bucket. Because this is titanium. This is titanium. These are white gold. He's the bionic man sitting in front of me. Absolutely. (laughs) And I know Lee Majors. He doesn't have any of this bionic stuff. In fact, he's had liposuction. I'm a little upset with him. I'm not going to go into it. Well, Lee, the weird thing is Lee Majors have come, has come up twice in the podcast in the last week. Because really? we, we just had Bruce Campbell on, and he's on a show with Lee, uh, uh, the Evil Dead show on Stars. Oh, so. well, I didn't even know he was still alive. <laughs> <laughs> Apparently the white boots uh, Last yeah. time I saw him, he, we, we were playing at his country club, and he, he made a lot of bets. And I had this driver that was 54 inches long, Japanese, and made it. It was a psychedelic shaft. And I could nail that sucker, <laughs> and we won. We, you know, he had maybe twenty thousand dollars in a roll. Yeah. And we were driving away, and I said, "Well, we did pretty good today." <laughs> I said, um, "Where are we going?" And he said, oh, "I thought we'd go to the titty bar." Okay. <laughs> Uh, is any of that mine? He said, oh, no, you don't know how much it costs to get you in the tournament. Oh, geez, it's so expensive. <laughs> yeah, it was all crock. I didn't hit a ball in the next day. He lost everything. For, for my money, you might be the most interesting man on the planet. So for, to, the, to, to the here's my question for the most interesting man on the planet. Who is the most interesting person to you? Who's the most interesting actor you've worked with, director you've in, in the business that we know? Yeah. I'm just curious. Who, who, do you, who is fascinating well, beyond the great? Most of my dad, you know, uh, 
because I, I, you know, I liked Marlon a lot. But you did know, you get to know Marlon a bit? Or? Yeah, I did. John introduced me towards the end, and when he said Marlon wants to have dinner with you, I, I, I was with an English friend, and we were riding in. It was after Thin Red Line, and then I said, "Oh my God, Woody and I pulled that gag on Sean. He's he's going to get me back with Marlon." I, I, we can't go. We can't go. Matt, we got to turn around and not go. Because I thought for sure he was going to pull that. And he didn't. <laughs> Marlon was really sitting there. So it was, you know, safe enough. But uh, I don't know if you know about that gag. It was pretty, um, it was about the best gag in film that's ever been pulled. Uh, in Thin Red Line. Yeah. Uh, maybe I'll tell quick. Uh, when I got down there, Sean and Woody had been throwing a snake in each other's trailer and all that. And Sean had gone to the local radio station and said, Woody will be in the park selling his pictures for $10 a pop <laughs> and signing them and this this Friday or this Saturday. And... Uh, so they were laughing. I was at dinner with Terry Malik and his wife and Woody and his wife and Sean and his wife. And they were laughing about all this. And I saw Terry wasn't too interested in it. And and, uh, and Woody asked for my number. I gave my number. And, and soon I, as soon as I got home, I, he called me. And he said, listen, would you set up an appointment with Sean for, uh, let's say, uh, Saturday around 4 o'clock? They have something you have to talk to him about. And I said, are you going to hurt him, Woody? He said, no, 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 no. I don't know what the gay is, but we won't hurt him. Absolutely not. But he'll only believe you because you just came. Anybody else, he's not going to believe. So I, I did talk to Sean, and I said, you know, i got to talk to you on Saturday if you got any time. He said, yeah, about 4 o'clock, that would be great. So I'm going to be the fall guy here. This isn't leading to a good thing. Yeah, so, so Woody <laughs> calls me on Saturday about 3 o'clock. He said, come on down to the police station at Port Douglas, you know. It's just down at the end of the main road in the park. It's that house. And I, so I went down there, and I met the three policemen, and they looked like Mad Max guys. One of them had his sleeves rolled up, and, and one was in a uniform, and the other one was in a uniform, too. He said, look, you got no reckoning around you around. They have a warrant for this guy's arrest, but since you're a foreigner, they got to find out if you've been drinking at all. So you need to call Sean to reference you. And so he'll come down here. Now, the only thing I don't know when it goes off, do I leave the gun in? And I said, well, if you don't leave the gun in, Woody, Sean won't react. You know, so I said, okay, the gun stays in. And he's, I was trying to get so okay, okay. So, you know, I called Sean. I said, I'm down here at the police. Say, yeah, I'll be right there. It's four minutes away. He comes down. He comes walking down a long hall. I'm sitting in a picnic bench at the back. They ripped out the walls, and that was their end office. And this guy is sitting over in a bench here. And the cop starts talking to Sean right away about what I had done. Nothing. You know, it was that guy. Warrant. He said he had to take a pee. So they went down the hall. And all of a sudden, all hell broke loose. Boom, bang, crash, boom, bam. <laughs> That cop runs down after that, and then there was more boom, bang, crash. And Sean said, what the fuck's going on? <laughs> I said, I don't know. And he, 
he got up and he said, well, Jesus, being shot, he went right towards it. And as he was going down the hall, I said, oh, it's got to be gun now, gun now, gun now. <laughs> boom, boom, boom. Sean came running back into the back door, and it was locked. And Jacob it out. <laughs> the cops came in, he hit the floor. I went up in the wall because I was cracking up. And I didn't want to, I can't lay on the floor going, ah, you know. So I was standing on the wall like this, and Sean went down finally on all four, and this guy was, he was out of his mind. I'm getting the fuck out of here, you know. This is Sean going, going crazy. Yeah, well, no, there was the Australian cop. Oh, oh the cop was, he got it, yeah. Yeah, I got to get out of here. You kid, you can drive me out of here. <laughs> yeah, well, there's a key on the, on the desk. I take a key on the desk. So Sean, please, just don't shoot anyway. I'll drive you anywhere you want to go. Just don't shoot Okay, so you get, come on, let's get the fuck out of here. He gets the key, goes to the back door, opens that door, unlocks that door, opens it. There's Woody. <laughs> Shot a picture. And we had two cameras down in the corner, and they got the whole thing. On so, video? There's video of this? Yeah, there's video. Now, it should be on the DVD extras for Thin Red Line. That's... Yeah, you know, I was never to repeat this story, but somebody gave a bad person. Don't trust Nick Nolte with your secrets, people. <laughs> That's, take, okay. that's one takeaway. My other takeaway is... Oh, he's going to leave me in the jungle of Mexico with some drug dealer. It's be. I can't think of a worse person to prank than Sean Penn. That's not high on my list. Did, of, you know, it went kind of like this. He went... Uh, <laughs> <laughs> and I said to the cops, you guys want a drink? He said, yeah, let's go. We went to the pub. And we got, we got smashed because... You know, when they thought about it, shooting that gun off of blanks, well, only in Port Douglas in Australia. Sure. You know, and <laughs> because of their accents, it took on a sense of reality, you know. I'm just happy you got out alive, Nick, yeah. uh, that you made it here today. Because... I don't know if I did have <laughs> Repeating that story, maybe you went might. through it again. You just felt. Hey, I feel like you're sweating. You're now like maybe I, I am sweating. I'm going to have to roll it out and see if if you can use this. <laughs> it might cost me my life. You no, know? it's going to be okay. You're protected. We'll protect you. Uh, you don't know. Sean <laughs> knows a lot of people. <laughs> Um, well, I'll let you go to sort that out. Okay. We're not cutting anything. Right. Uh, <laughs> um, I can't tell you. I mean, you're, you're welcome here, needless to say, anytime because you have a thousand and one stories. I don't care if they're true or not. They're all amazing. <laughs> um, <laughs> the show is uh, Graves. Everybody should check it out on Epics. Uh, it's a, a great piece of work, a fun political satire. You deliver a hell of a performance, as you always do, sir. Thank you. Um, and it's been a real pleasure. Thanks for stopping yeah, by today. Yeah, I had a lot of fun. Thanks, Thanks Nick. That was the amazing Nick Nolte. Once again, guys, check out Graves Sunday Nights on Epics. Now, next up is one of the true uh, – kind of the future of, of, of Hollywood, one of the bright lights going on in, in cinema right now. She, of course, made a huge debut. It was her first film. Which uh, is insane. Insane. Daisy Ridley starred in Star Wars The Force Awakens uh, last year and everybody fell in love with her and fell in love with that character, Ray. And uh, as I talk about with her in this conversation, she's kind of using her powers for good. She, she's – this is one of her first projects post-Star Wars in that she's, she lent her name to this really delightful documentary uh, called 
called The Eagle Huntress that is out on November 2nd. You guys should check it out, um, whether in theaters or on VOD, et cetera. And, uh, you know, it's really telling that, like, Daisy is is lending her her star power, as it were, to a project like this that um, that could use, you know, the oomph of a celebrity behind it. So um, we talk, of course, about The Eagle Huntress, but we also talk about a great many things, including Star Wars and um, why there was, a, there's, there was this weird backlash, at least online, uh, about the character of Ray being really? a, quote, Mary Sue. Are you familiar with this no. kind of debate? So the, the, I'm not going to be able to be eloquent about it. It's kind of an insipid, insane debate, and she kind of like nips it in the bud, which is great, that um, a Mary Sue is, I guess, I think a character that can just like ostensibly do anything for no reason, like it just can solve any problem and doesn't really have like the, mm. the actual um, – but the name of the movie is The Force Awakens. Right. So. I, I'm with you. I'm with you. And she she speaks um, eloquently on why she thinks that argument was totally baseless. Mm-hmm. Um, and we also talk about you know she's very frank about her her um, wrestling with social media. Mm-hmm. She was very popular on Instagram. She posted some stuff that got, that um, some uh, you know pro gun folks didn't appreciate. They went after her. She left social media. She talks about sort of like negotiating that line and what that's all about. Um, so she's great. I really I I, I think. She's She's, she's a fantastic young actor, and I'm really excited to see what she does in both Star Wars and outside of that franchise. I can't believe she tells you who's who Ray's parents are in this podcast. <laughs> That's always revealed. No, no spoilers. It's crazy. Don't ruin this for me and us. Um, no, no spoilers. No in this, spoilers. But just a delightful conversation with um, Daisy Ridley. Again, Eagle Huntress out on November 2nd. Check it out and enjoy this conversation with Daisy Ridley. For Star Wars, the Eagle Huntress. Star Wars, the Eagle Huntress coming soon. <laughs> Uh, Daisy, it's good to see you. You good to see you? Um, it's been a while. This yes. is a, all for a different kind of a cause, a, a, a very sweet cause. This is a great movie. Congratulations. Thank you. Um, by the way, since I, I've seen you, I was at Skellig Michael and you were not Why? there. I went for vacation. I was in Ireland for vacation for my birthday. Really? And we decided to take a little trip. It's beautiful, huh? It's amazing. Yeah. Was the weather good? Uh, it was <laughs> Ireland. It was Irish. Yeah. Yeah, but it was great. Um, and uh, but there was no, there was neither you nor Mark Hamill nor porta potties. There was nothing. Um, we were hiding. <laughs> Um, we had some other stuff to do there. Okay. We were just trying to solve the woes of the galaxy, you know. No, I, I understand. I understand, yeah. I understand. You're busy also because not only are you an actor now, you are a esteemed executive producer. Mm, esteemed, not so sure. Well, you're an executive, executive producer. producer. Well, yes. well, <laughs> um, <laughs> I I feel like this is a very telling moment for any actor in their career after they've had like the first kind of flush mm-hmm. of success. What they do with that power mm-hmm. in a way, mm. because you know this is this is the first thing you put your name on since Star Wars. Yeah. So yeah. give me a sense of coming off of that unique opportunity. What was your agenda in well, terms actually, of... Well, actually, I also did um, Only Yesterday, okay. which was a Studio Ghibli film. Oh, sure. That's right. Yeah. 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 So I guess I'm saying, huh, that's, <laughs> that's in Asia too. Um, well, I watched the film and was... The thing is, I didn't set out to be like, oh, this is what I want to do. And like, this is what I'm going to do when I'm, you know, in the next year of my life. It just so happened that um, I was sent this film and it was amazing and I wanted to be part of it, and Otto was happy for me to to come on board, and then I was able to narrate it too. So it was like all a just a great timing thing. Yeah. So what struck you the first time? I mean, do, do, does this happen a lot where like someone wants to put something in front of you just to get your? It feel happens for- more with books, mm-hmm. and I'm a big reader, so I love that. Um, this is the first time. This is the first thing it's happened to with a film. Um, 
the the thing that struck me honestly was the relationship between Ashley Pan and her father because me and my dad are close and our family are very close, and um, and it's funny people have asked about parallels between Ray and her. I think I see it more with my life because they're just it's not like a statement that her parents are making like we're going to do this great thing for you that just is how they are right they want their child to do what she wants to do right and they're supportive and encouraging and it's not this big showy thing um so that was the main thing then secondly obviously um the empowerment story of someone being able to do exactly what they want to do right and again i think it's not about her winning the competition she just wants to be part of it and she does that so she she um reaches her goal and then it's just beautiful. It's an incredible place that we don't know much about. To see a slice of life, of their family life, in a very kind of unknown um, community, so far away from what most of us live, is um, is super cool. Well, I think that that's also like the what makes this film special. I think you hit on, on most of the notes that I was going to as well. Because yes, it's like it's a landscape you probably haven't seen much, if at all, in film, and it's beautifully shot. Um, yet it is an extremely relatable story, sure. and yeah. I think that's uh, there's <clears throat> a real sweetness to this family and to this this young girl who's what 13 years old, yeah. and um, you know I feel like. She, she doesn't see limits because her father hasn't put limits exactly. on her. So for her, it's like no big thing. She's just doing this thing. In her community it is, but not as a socially right. impactful way as it will be. Um, yeah, it's just did, nice. Did when, when you were growing up, did you feel any limits placed on you based on solely on your gender at all? Did you feel not that at all. anything was off the table for you? Which, which honestly is why I was surprised that, at everything that went on with Star Wars because for me like surrounded by brilliant women my mum has always worked um and like and I never heard anything about you know any kind of difficulty she had she may have done right um and I was she has some close female friends who I'm very close to so it was never it was honestly never a thing um and then because I wasn't looking at film in that way um, and my favorite films like Mulan were about women anyway. Sure. So I guess I didn't really see the thing. And now I'm like, holy moly. But more honestly now for diversity. Like I went to go see a play in London and like every single cast member was mo- was white. And suddenly you're like so aware. Yeah. I went from being totally unaware to com- so aware. And even um, 10, 15 years ago, that w- would have been the norm. And exactly. The- and, um, and I guess it's saying something that now that's n- not the norm anymore. It's like slow progress. But I never felt limits, no. Yeah. Um, not at all. Were you, were, were you struck by, I mean, as much, and, and there was like, I, I feel like the ratio was 99 to 1 in terms of the love that came for Ray and for, yeah. for that character much like in, in a weird different way, like like Ghostbusters had that same thing, I feel like, where, yeah. the, where like kind of the crazies kind of came mm. out of the woodwork mm. and assigned this weird, um, frankly, misogynistic kind of yeah. overtone to yeah. to that, that the narrative around that film. Did you Were you aware of that for Ray as well when the people were coming out and saying, she's a Mary Sue and all of that? The I mean, Mary Sue thing I was just confused by. The, the thing is, and I think, again, this film is amazing because it's about inclusiveness and about how a community far away people just live the same kind of lives like we don't all hunt eagles but we all sit around as families and we eat together and we drink together and we have conversations um and with so much being so divisive at the moment to see something that's just pure and good yeah is nice like the mary sue thing i just didn't get because it wasn't true but for the most part when anyone whenever anyone is mean and i'm not saying whenever anyone has genuine criticism about something sure that's when fair but being yes mean yeah. it's irrational and it doesn't make sense because any comments that people had the mary sue thing in itself is um is sexist yeah. because it's a it's a, a name of a woman 
Um, and everyone was saying that Luke had exactly the same thing. I think Ray is incredibly vulnerable and nothing she's doing is for like a the, the greater good. She's just doing what she thinks is the right thing. Yeah. And she doesn't want to do some of it, but she like feels like compelling to do it. So for me, I was just confused. Um, and then there were people making comments about John, but it was funny because then the, for the most part, the Mary Sue thing came afterwards. But people in general were so great about it. But by and large, it feels like, I mean, this is all... There's so much love out there, as I said. And this, oh, this is going to yeah. be the first Halloween post-Star Wars. You're going to see know, a hell of a lot of rays yeah. out there. Yeah. Not to mention Generso, uh, I think, is also going to be out there yeah. as well. I, I, and so, JJ literally emailed me two days ago. He just met a guy who had a baby called Ray Park. Oh, my God. I know. <laughs> yeah. I saw, I saw Felicity back in Toronto her, for nice. her films. For um, Monster Calls. Oh, my God. Have you seen a Monster Calls yet? I cried in the trailer. Dude, I haven't it, seen the film. It's, cried in the trailer. I've seen it twice. It's just amazing. I think it's my favorite movie of the year. I'm actually yeah. tearing up talking about it right yeah. now because it, it is, it will wreck you yeah. in a great way. It's a yeah. beautiful film. Um, but she was saying she was going off to see you like literally that next week. Yes. I've heard you guys have connected by now. Was that, I mean, what's the, I mean, not, you don't have to recreate the conversation. I'll, I'll be Felicity, you be Daisy, no. Okay. Uh, but but what, what was important for you to kind of like talk well, to her firstly, about? Well, firstly, I just wanted to, I went to the Rogue One set and we met very briefly and we had the same dresser. Callie um and she was like you two would get on really well so I wanted to meet her anyway sure she in fact she used my whole same team my hair and makeup too um I've always I mean obviously I didn't tell her this but I really <laughs> love her work like really do and I remember when I left theory of everything I said to my sister if I ever make anyone feel like she just made me feel in that film like I'll be happy sure um and then it was just interesting because obviously she had she's about to go into the press tour and she and she's done so much work, but she's not done some um, something with the press schedule being that as it. Very few have, did. to be fair, yeah. Yeah, um, and with Asia and everything, so we were just talking about that. So it was nice because it was like actually points of reference, yeah, as opposed to this thing that feels so far away. Yeah, now. despite like a young career, this is like the one thing you can speak with authority on. Like, actually, yeah. I know how to do this. But also, <laughs> suddenly it was like you know you get so bogged down with people saying, "Oh, it's so." It's everything's. I mean, so much is so negative in yeah. the world, and like, and people really freak me out about how life was going to be. And then suddenly, I'm like, <laughs> you I know, your life's thing. about to change. Exactly. And like, I'm on the. I got, I've started using the tube and stuff again. Like, it's no biggie. Yeah. <clears throat> and um, rem and it was just nice remembering how amazing of a time I had. I, I will say, I'm very sad that in recent months, I, I lost my social media buddy. Uh, Sorry. You, you left. What oh, happened? No. You, so it had nothing to do with the hate and stuff, because there was some, again, the crazies kind of came out a for little you, bit. you, Josh, I'll tell you. <laughs> the, uh, the gun thing, for sure, had nothing to do with okay. it. Okay. Uh, the, the reason I took that down was I was like, oh, my God, I'm, I really have nothing to do with this, because in England, the gun's not a thing. Some people were not very nice. And yes, that had something to do with it. Honestly. No, it's fair. I mean, yeah. Um, but for the most part, I didn't feel good at that time. And and it gets to a point sometimes when you're like putting on a thing because you're like, I have to post. And and like, I'm seriously like going through my life. Like I have stuff I'm dealing with. I mean, nothing huge, but we just finished the film. And sure. it was it was just an odd time. Um, and I felt like I didn't really have anything to post about. Honestly, that yeah. was it. Um, and then, it, I mean, it is tricky because, God, I never thought I'd get into this, to be honest. Because you think, like, my whole thing is self-love and yeah. stuff like that. So when people are not nice, it kind of seems so odd because I never, like, put a filter. Um, I know that I have flaws, as everyone does, and I've never been shy of hiding them. 
So, um, yeah. But for the most part, honestly, it's because I had nothing to post and I still don't have anything to post. <laughs> okay. So, um, I mean, I've literally been We on hope you'll come back so eventually. Uh, yeah, I think, okay. I think we'll see next year. Okay. It's been nice to be off. Apparently, the, the cool kids in school are taking social media breaks <laughs> where they don't go on for a week. Cool. Honestly, someone told me that this morning. <laughs> Whatever gets you to sleep at night, Daisy. Exactly. Okay, so, and where are you at in terms of just, uh, you know, you obviously, you know, lending your name and voice to this, literally. Yes. Um, just finished episode eight. You haven't acted in something, you know, your entire body in a, in a while outside You're of Star Wars. Me. Does that feel weird to you? Are you itching? Because you've signed it's on terrifying. to some things. Yes. Murder on the well, Orient I, Express. I auditioned for Murder on the Orient Express. And it was nice because I was actually talking to Adam about it because I was terrified because we spoke a couple weeks ago. <laughs> and um, and he was like, yeah, but you auditioned. It's great. And it, I don't know. It's weird. Like, for sure, I feel with that cast, I'm not worthy. Um, but I'm a huge fan of Kenneth Branagh and literally every single person in it. You um, get to have some interesting relationship with Leslie Odom Jr. Yes. A, a way to get closer to Hamilton. Yes. <laughs> and what's funny is last time I was here, me and Stephanie, who's in this room, we went to Hamilton. <laughs> it's like a weird um, circular kind of thing. Um, cyclical. Uh, but yeah, Bran, Bran is the best. I'm he's, he's amazing. But also it's like so different. It's period and right. and it's like we're all just in, in compartments. Like there's no running away. <laughs> I can't run away from the terror. Is that the next thing you're going to be acting in? Yes. Very exciting. And then I have some stuff lined up next year, which is super cool. So um, episode eight, which I know you can't say anything about, yeah. but well, tell me, was it was it a much different experience kind of working with uh, Mark Hamill versus Harrison? They're two very uniquely different human beings. They're very uniquely different human beings. No one's asked me that. It was very different, yeah. Um, um, I don't know how, just different energies. Yeah. Um, they've lived different lives. They, yeah, just different people. Um, but it was great. One of the things I've heard through the grapevine, and this, I don't think this reveals anything, is that there, in addition to Ray, there are other significant female characters. Hell yeah. Uh, Kelly Marie Tran. That's you what I'm what? hearing. She's yeah. got a very key role yeah, in this film. Yeah, she does. I mean, I think it would have been odd if they did an announcement with her, Benicio, and Laura um, for her not to be a big part. She's a crucial role, and it's really exciting. Has Ray changed a lot in the last four seconds that took place between episode seven and episode eight? In the last four seconds. There's a um there's a big there's a big journey, yeah. Between the films? Um during the film. Okay, I hope so. In the four seconds she's like thought, what am I gonna have for dinner? Right. Is this guy ever gonna take this lightsaber? I'm literally standing here like a lemon. <laughs> but within the film, a big journey. Yeah. A lot happens. I would hope. I hope it's not just you them sitting like exactly. at the top of that mountain. And they're like, Hey Luke, how's it been? <laughs> Tell me. Fill me in. <laughs> Fill me in. So um, it seems like, you know, we've talked about how the importance of a film like this being a, a, a positive beam of light mm. in this dark universe we seem to be in right now. Yeah. I, as we sit here today, the, the last debate he was, was here in the U.S. last night. Yes. Uh, <laughs> are you... I ordered some cookies last night to help me get through it. Did you, do, yeah. do you feel involved in the U.S. political machinations? Do you feel... Yeah, I do. I mean, Brexit was horrendous. And for anyone who lived in London, we were gobsmacked and devastated. Um, so you're here to warn us it's, it could happen to get capitalized. I us. think, honestly, a lot of Americans have said they were so surprised that Brexit happened that now it's, it, it was more likely that, that Trump was going to get in. Um, I was here for the first debate. I was in Australia for the second. I for sure feel a big part of it. Plus, you know, I'm in America a lot and I love America and I love American people. So um, it's it's on my mind. Yeah. Yeah. Is there 
So you, Murder on the Orient Express is the next role, which is, sounds like a much different kind of a thing. Is yes. there some a kind of a role that's not coming your way that you hope people think of you for? I know um, that a big moment for you was working with Barbara Streisand recently. Oh, my god, Bucketless moment. I, I, who could even put that on their bucket list? Exactly. It's one of those things you can't even imagine that it will be a dream <laughs> until you do it. And then you're like, this is a dream. Yeah, the universe is being really good and coming up with things you never could have imagined for yourself. Exactly. <laughs> like, what exactly. else do you have in mind for me, universe? But honestly, I'm, I'm very much like, uh, I believe everything happens for a reason. Mm-hmm. And I think, like, I auditioned for something just before Murder on the Orient Express with the director who I would have loved to work with and I didn't get it. And I was sad, but I'm for sure, like, the timing didn't work. And I remember my agent, Hilda, who's a boss, <laughs> she said, you know, the train's going through a station, it just wasn't your stop. Sure. Um, and I think that timing is a big thing. So, um, so as of yet, no, I'm reading <clears throat> incredible books. Um, I have a couple of, like development things going on and, um, the stuff I'm able to do next year, like it's a wide variety. Nice. So it's very exciting. Yeah. Last, uh, television or film that you went insane for anything that you're really obsessed with right now? I mean, Stranger Things. Pretty great. Really want to be friends with Millie Bobby Brown. <laughs> um, what did I last see at the cinema? Um, I'm waiting to see Sing Street, which, funnily enough, Lucy so Boynton is in so on the Orient Express. Uh, <laughs> oh, my gosh. Saw the boss on the plane almost wet myself <laughs> laughing. So good. She's kind of the best at that kind of thing. She's the best. Yeah. And, and Kristen Bell's not so bad either. gorgeous, too. Yeah. Um, Kristen Bell's great. The little girl in that, brilliant. Totally. The whole thing. Also, I thought the stunts were amazing. Right. There well, were so many stunts, people getting thrown down Just her, what, the, the bed gag? Her just... The bed gag. <laughs> Best thing ever. <laughs> We're ending on happy notes. Yes. This is good. Yeah. Oh, and by the way, what's the key to delivering good voiceover, giving giving good narration for uh, the aspiring narrator out there? Okay, so I was I've always wanted to actually narrate something, yeah. especially something with such beautiful vistas. So I was going for the whole Oh, in Mongolia, it's so great. <laughs> he was like rain it in. I think um it's less is more, okay. probably. But but also it, it depends on what you're doing it for. Okay. Um, so the Vista stuff, I was more indulgent. Right. And then the day-to-day stuff, all it is, as Otto says, is like a handhold to like eight-year-olds in the audience who um, may, might lose themselves in Got the it. subtitles. So it's just a little nudge in the right direction. Do you want to end our, our podcast signing off for us? Does it practice your narration? <laughs> sure. I've not had a rehearsal of this. You're a professional. And so ends another edition of Happy, Sad, Confused. Remember to review, rate, and subscribe to this show on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm a big podcast person. I'm Daisy Ridley, and I definitely wasn't pressured to do this by Josh. (laughs) This episode of Happy, Sad, Confused was produced by Michael Catano, James T. Green, Mukta Mohan, and Kasia Mihailovic for the MTV Podcast Network, with additional engineering by Little Everywhere. You can subscribe to this and all of our other shows on iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play, Spotify, or wherever else you find your favorite podcasts.